CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Romani's present. Uh, welcome to our Patreon subscribers. Yeah, they'll be hearing this before everyone else. Yeah, about two weeks beforehand. A bit so, of a reward for supporting us. So we're going to do these quite often. We'll try to get uh, one every every one or two months, get a special guest on, release it early to our Patreon supporters, and then to the general public after that. Cool. Do you want to do the honors, Ramon? Once again, once again. So one of our favorite podcasts from last year was with this gentleman. Uh, he's the head of the Institute of Race Relations, the CEO to be exact. And it's uh, Mr. Franz Crenier. Franz, welcome back. No, thank you very much for getting us back on your very popular uh, program. So, some would argue populist too, but what can you say? But anyway, <laughs> welcome back. Uh, so, I mean, the IR have, has done... A hell of a lot of work in the past year or so since we were last on, and uh, so what? What is? What are your thoughts around the, the current climate of the of the state? We think there's a lot of naivety about. We've done something that's probably not going to be released into the mainstream media, but I'm happy to talk to you about it here, and talk later about why it won't be released either. And that is an estimate we've just done of who's going to win the ANC leadership race at the end of the year. And uh, the winner of the race has nothing to do with what uh, is written in the media about the Gupta family or anything of that nature. It's an election right? that's held by the ANC. And we have um, done something that uh, others aren't doing. We've actually taken membership data of the ANC, delegate data from past the meetings and conferences. We've then taken what we think we know about the party and we built seven models around the end of the year. And in five of the models, Zuma won the election. Um, really? Ramaphosa won in two models where he can get 50% of the vote in KwaZulu-Natal or he can turn one of the other original Premier League provinces fully to his side. We then went one step further and thought that even if we, – we, we know some things. We, we know that probably a quarter of the vote in Natal is, is, could be with Ramaphosa. And uh, very many Machiavellian things are going on, but David Mabuza and Mpumalanga may have turned as a prominent Premier League province in Ramaphosa's direction. And we then tested how could Zuma still win, and we were able to engineer an outcome where Zuma can win with only the support of the Free State and Northwest if he is able to inflate a delegate number sufficiently uh, by the end of the year, and uh, you you told many things these days, and you can't put much stock into what is true and what is not. But we are told that an attempt at inflation of numbers is going on, and the number that's been quoted to us was exactly the sort of critical mass number that our model showed he would need to win with only the support of two other provinces. We're seeing a lot of people who come and see us and say, "When Ramaphosa wins at the end of the year." How soon will it be before South Africa is back at 5% growth and, 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 and quick job creation? And we, we know that Ramaphosa can win. We've shown how. But we like to slow that group or company down, that firm down, and say, before we get there, let's just take a few steps back. One, it's when, it's not when Ramaphosa wins, it's if he wins. 
And once he's won, he can only win, our model showed so clearly, with support of very of the many same people who profited so handsomely through their looting of the state under Jacob Zuma. And it becomes very difficult then to see how, needing their support to remain leader of the ANC, he can turn. Yeah. And therefore, even if Ramaphosa wins, we might end up with what we call a false start uh, uh, for South Africa, where expectations will be sky high amidst the media adulation at his defeat of Zuma. But as we conclude in the report, the fragile and insincere unity that Ramaphosa's defeat of Zuma would have to be based on could easily fracture in the absence of immediate improvements in living standards and economic performance, which is impossible to achieve without structural reform, and we cannot see how Ramaphosa can introduce the structural reforms where he needs to do that, the support of so many of the same ideologues and crooks who have profited so from Mr. Zuma. So there's something exclusive for you. So, I mean, the, 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 well, not the narrative, but my feeling is if Dlamini Zuma wins, the end is, is, is sort of inevitable and relatively quick. If Ramaphosa wins, there's this meandering decline. It was still, there's still a decline at the end of the day when the ANC finally loses a popular election. But maybe, uh, people will be a, a little bit more forgiving with him. Well, in May, we published a book on essentially this subject. We um, do scenarios, yes. which are a simple thing. It's an attempt to make your knowledge of the future as good as your knowledge of the past. And there are methodologies that allow you to do that these days. Uh, we do a lot of socioeconomic research. A lot of people ask us questions about what's going on in South Africa. When Mbeki was ejected in 2007, which surprised a lot of people, though not ourselves, we'd called that he would be. Uh, questions increasingly turned into what will happen next in South Africa. And we married, in the aftermath of, of Mbeki's departure, our socioeconomic knowledge with scenario planning to start developing long-term views on South Africa. And we we published the first uh, set of views in a popular format. We give them to clients, but in a popular format in a book in, in uh, 2014 called The Time Traveler's Guide to Our Next Ten Years. And we've just released the second book in what will be a trilogy, in May, a new book called The Time Traveler's Guide to South Africa in 2030. It's a brand new book. It's not based on the original one. It's new analysis, new data. And what we've done in that book is we've married our socioeconomic understanding of the country with the inside political track we're able to uh, uh, get access to in order to answer essentially your question. Um, we've come up with four new scenarios for the year after our 2029 election. They surprise people. Um, there's one that we call the rise of the right. Uh, this one could easily follow a Zuma victory at the end of this year, where the state becomes increasingly authoritarian, whites and away, uh, democratic institutions and the rule of law. And terrified that its uh, uh, revolution, as it sees its role, will be undermined by the fiscal deficit, low levels of growth, and popular dissatisfaction, turns right on economics. It does what Margaret Thatcher did to Scargill and has the authority and the brutality to do it and to force against public opinion conservative right-wing economic reforms in the name of the National Democratic Revolution. The, 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 the great irony of sort of Chinese leaders under the hammer and sickle lecturing the United States on the importance of free trade, a wonderful 
turn. So that's rise of the right. And by the early 2020s, South Africa's growth rate is 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 back to four or five percent. This new regime uh, uh, gets a second bite at the cherry after the 2024 election. And South Africa storms into the late 2020s as one of the world's fastest growing and most attractive emerging markets. We're richer, we're stable, but we're not free anymore. <coughs> and it all starts with a Zuma victory at the end of this year. So it's just a very unusual outlook. Sorry, France, to just interject. I mean, do you see anyone in the ANC being that person? You're looking for a, a, a Lee Kuan Yew, the, the chap right. who, who, who triggered this tiger-type thinking in Singapore in the late 1950s. Um, we see someone that we think might be a third of the way there. It will sac- sacrifice him not to say who he is, but no, we don't see that person. Um, where we've looked into the Asian tiger experience, um, one thing that stood out for us is that linchpin of the success was an utterly merit-based civil service. Um, and part of the reforms that would have to follow would be the uh, rejection in, in practice of the idea of uh, affirmative action or empowerment within the civil service. And the absence of that alone we think the rise of the right outcome is unlikely uh, to materialize. Yet, South Africa might in any event have seen a type of Zuma victory. And in any event, democratic institutions might be further white-handed away, a free speech and the like eroded, not just through the state, but as you know from my prior appearance on your program, I think the threats to freedom often sit in the mainstream media, business and the like. In that case, uh, we bring up in the book the scenario that we call the tyranny of the left. Um, Zuma might even have been defeated here. The watershed between the two is not authoritarianism, which is present in both, but that in my rise of the right, the ideological outlook of the government is in pursuit of very high levels of investment-driven economic growth, the Asian Tigers. In my tyranny of the left, the ideological outlook is the redistribution of a, redistribution of a diminishing pool of existing wealth. Um, South Africa's fixed investment levels will plummet. Uh, property and later businesses will increasingly find themselves facing a draconian regulation which will deny the, in practice the property rights people have over their businesses, property, land or other assets. Um, growth will slump further. The, we likely to find ourselves in a little recession sooner than later. Well, we are in technically in one now. It might yeah. deepen. We might stay there. Yeah. And as the recession deepens, it will trigger more populism in order to address the public anger at the fact that living standards are falling. And uh, that will deepen the populism, and South Africa enters a decade of deep recession. South Africans will be appreciably poorer in real terms in 2029 than they are today. We went back into our past and found that in 1991, South Africans were 20% poorer than they'd been in 1981, a consequence of misguided policy and incredible political volatility. Capital flight, flight out of South African bond markets, hyperinflation, extraordinary currency weakening, uh, the round running straight through 20, 30, 40, 50 to the U.S. dollar. And as South Africans realize they've been duped and try and rise against the state, it has become powerful and authoritarian enough to literally shoot them down in the streets. 
Uh, we had a client who said that sounds unlikely, and we said, well, only if you deny that Marikana ever happened, because there are very few free and open societies where the state could kill 30 people on international network television one afternoon, and not a single person is held accountable. And and that is under this less that is before the further white hunting of democratic institutions will happen. Uh, the tyranny of the left would be a, a worse outcome than I find even the most uh, uh, alarmist would appear endless or even willing to consider. Can Can I just uh, pause you for a second on the scenarios? You talk about Zuma, um, and when you say Zuma, you know it, it sounds as if you're referring to Jacob Zuma. Um, at the end of the year, in theory, he's not standing for for election into the ANC. He's putting his wife up, essentially. But do you view uh, whoever he puts up as proxy, his wife or ex-wife, excuse me, um, regardless, it's still Jacob Zuma running the show? The We sometimes perhaps fluff it a bit because we're not completely sure. We What we definitely mean is the infrastructure of Jacob Zuma. The, the relationship between the party and the state, the attempt to use state power to extract massive amounts of wealth from the private sector in the name of redress and transformation, uh, that infrastructure we think remains. Uh, will it not be Zuma at the end of the year? Um, it, it may certainly not. It may be, of course, Azanad Lamini Zuma. But why, if he's confident of victory as he would be if he's read any of our first four models, his would be far more sophisticated than ours, uh, would he agree to step down uh, at all? Uh, it's not his nature. Mr. Zuma is an awe-inspiring strategist and opponent and uh, deserves to be treated as an opponent or adversary with the greatest of respect. The persona of the bumbling country bumpkin who our accident became the president of a country is one of the most useful assets that he has. No one who's bet against the man has ever lost. We understand a bit about his past in, in, in the pre-94 era and uh, uh, are very impressed on a strategic level by what we saw. In the 1990s, as South Africa's opening up, he's some B-grade politician stuck in the backwaters of Natal, and both Mandela and Mbeki have failed to destroy Nkata and turn it to the ANC side, and they decide to their Mbeki's eternal regret that we'll give uh, this Mr. Zuma a shot, not realizing that if he manages to do that, to destroy Nkata, he will inherit the mantle of Zulu nationalism that he will come to wield as a weapon within the ANC, which is exactly what has happened. He was given his gap by Mbeki. By the time Mbeki realized to his horror what was happening, he fired him, and four years later Zuma sat behind Mbeki's desk at the union buildings. To believe that Zuma will easily be thrown out of the ANC, which can, he can be thrown out, we're not saying he can't, but to believe that it will happen as easily as some analysts and journalists suggest is to believe in the face of the evidence, the analysts that have been wrong all along. Just on my way here now, I happened to listen to a radio program where, where the chap said, but we all thought when the Gupta emails came out that Zuma would have to resign. It's that dangerous. It's that dangerous level of naivety. Not under, I think Zuma, Zuma, like his friend Mr. Putin, doesn't um, drink. And he plays chess to a very high level. 
uh, he, he might be more ergodan than anyone else. And uh, uh, while we can see how Mr. Ramaphosa can win, we continue to encourage the people to talk to us, to have a view that it may not just be Zuma's infrastructure that survives at the end of this year, but the man himself, whether uh, uh, directly, which we yeah. would say is a plausible outcome, or indirectly through remote control, sort of Medvedev-Putin relationship. Right. And let's not forget, I mean, Zuma actually exploited the, the policy of the ANC since the Mandela era, right? The, the, the card deployment, the, uh, things like that, the, the keeping of the SOEs. Uh, so he, he's the latest iteration of the ANC. He's not just someone who's taken something pure and distorted it. He's oh, really just evolved, evolved. Completely it. dishonest. Uh, so much of the analysis now. Uh, that uh, state capture has somehow appeared. It's, it's been a policy of the ANC since it adopted the policy at its Morogoro conference in 1968 or 1969. Uh, uh, state capture is the single most important objective of the National Democratic Revolution, which Cyril Ramaphosa continues to say is a policy that he supports. The, uh, uh, um, the problem on, on the left of the ANC is that the wrong chap has succeeded in capturing the state. Um, equally dishonest is the suggestion that state capture and the Gupta family are responsible for South Africa's very uh, weak levels of economic performance. Uh, not at all. They haven't uh, stolen nearly enough to steal us into a recession. It's not, it's not uh, 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 the looting of the state, which means that fixed investment levels have slumped for much of the past five or six years, whereas the world's uh, fragile economic recovery continued after the crisis. South Africa's economic growth rate that attracted global rates closely since the mid-1990s has peeled sharply away. Uh, to be one of the worst performing African, let alone emerging market economies. The reason um, South Africa is performing as weakly as it ha is, is that Zuma allowed many of the leftist policy prescripts of Kusatu and the South African Communist Party to become more dominant in government policy making over the past decade and to their great relief the communists and the trade unionists and many of their supporters on the left of the ANC have the Gupta family to, to blame. deflect blame towards. Uh, uh, it's, it's a very dishonest thing to do. And it's also why we, we, we urge caution on Ramaphosa's uh, victory should he win at the end of the year. That it's not a question of removing the Guptas. It's certainly not a question that state capture will be abandoned. Not at all. The other side will try and capture the state. To turn South Africa's economic performance requires significant structural reform, deep structural reforms, conservative ones, the types of reforms that Margaret Thatcher would have introduced was she here now. Hmm. And any uh, future leader who says he doesn't have the stomach for that or administration that won't do that, uh, we are pretty clear that South Africa's weak economic performance will then persist because of the refusal to implement structural reforms and could very easily worsen. So when you um, seize the means of production, but the wrong guy seizes the means of production is basically what we currently have. So, so 
<laughs> well, it's my it's my point on Zuma, the 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 awe inspiring strategist. Uh, he was meant to be this this country bumpkin, who who would be deployed by his cleverer colleagues uh, wherever they sat in Mbeki's office uh, later, uh, separate from Mbeki, the Communist Party, Kusar to the EFF. Remember, it's because of the, that triumvirate that Zuma is South Africa's president today. Uh, something that seems to have been forgotten if you read the text from some of their policy conferences. Um, and he outfoxed all of them to mm. capture the state, and that is the that is the the anger and the frustration, and the deflection is to blame it on the the Gupta family, and and unfortunately a lot of analysts, mainstream media uh, commentators have fallen for the ruse. All right. So so far, if from where I'm sitting, I'm thinking we're very much on the tyranny of the left road. Um, a lot of what you described is already kind of happening. Um, I don't see a major swing to the right, as you've discussed, uh, just because who's going to do that? Uh, the ideology doesn't seem to be there. What are the other two? Yeah, two scenarios down, and I'm not going to conclude for you that it's going to be the tyranny of the left. <laughs> I'm going to conclude for you with another one. Yeah. That um, a lot of people may take great heart from even though they perhaps don't see it. The third scenario is what we call the rise of the rainbow, a slightly kitsch's title insisted upon by my publisher. But, she, but, but she's wonderful and, uh, and she thought it would work well. What happens there is that at the end of the year, Zuma does win. And Ramaphosa and the better parts of the ANC and the stalwarts, you must suspend disbelief for a moment, Realize that the problem is the ANC and it cannot be saved. And they take their considerable influence uh, across the floor and form uh, some sort of a thing, a coalition that might be too strong with, with the Democratic Alliance. And both sides agree on the importance of structural reform and that the private sector should be positioned to lead that reform. Because of the popular unpopularity of Mr. Zuma and the fact that into the 2019 election, the two years after 2017, living standards and per capita GDP will be falling, this new uh, thing uh, wins the election in 2019 with a majority of one percentage point. The DA is very good at coalitions. They have agreed on the importance of structural reform. They're not sitting in this fluffy area that the DA finds itself in at the moment. And they implement the reforms through positioning the private sector to drive them, negating the need for that highly impressive civil service, which must be central to rise of the right, as it was so important to the Asian tigers. And again, by the 2020s, early to mid-2020s, we're back at growth rates of 3, 4, 5% setting up the next five years, and we again storm into the late 2020s as one of the world's fastest-growing emerging markets. We're getting richer. We're not as stable as rise of the right because we're a free and open society. So that's option number three. In the three scenarios I've sketched for you, there's one area of common ground, without which we must by default move to the fourth. And that is that the scenarios assume that the post-2019 administration, the side that wins the election that year, introduces the cabinet, can agree ideologically on how to run South Africa, the redistribution of wealth, growth, essentially the watershed, and implement the policies that flow from that ideology in a very effective manner. 
Where that does not happen, there's no political cohesion or ideological cohesion. The parties fight with each other and within themselves. Uh, they cannot agree. Also on the way here, the same radio program, the finance minister, Mr. Gigaba, said on white monopoly capital uh, to, to add a new level of complexity that the party hasn't yet agreed whether it believes that white monopoly capital should be uh, seen as the, as the enemy of the people and that further deliberation will have to take place. Mm, maybe he wasn't concentrating in that meeting. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> he said a number of peculiar things. The, the, the outlook then is as follows. The politicians fight. Maybe no one wins the election in 2019. We have a hung parliament, very difficult to agree on a coalition to put it back together again, difficult to pass budgets or elect the president. Policies completely confused. Uh, fixed investment levels have dipped even further. Uh, we've suffered uh, uh, a series of uh, downgrades to both the foreign and domestic debt. Uh, the RAND is running away very quickly. As policy remains confused, the government starts to run out of the money to do even the most basic things. And this takes us into what we call the breakup of South Africa. That scenario presumes that increasingly South Africans will be disgusted at the performance of the political leadership and realize that voting uh, for a sort of central authority to govern over them is never going to deliver the world they want. At the same time, the state doesn't have the resources, let alone the efficiency, to fulfill its basic functions. And ordinary people and communities begin to take over those functions. Um, education uh, would one. A health care, you fill your own potholes. Security. You know, security-wise, um, in 95, 1995, there were 100,000 policemen and 100,000 private security guards. And now there are 150,000 policemen and 500,000 private security guards in the country. We are further down this breakup road than we realize. Mm. And South African communities will appropriate for themselves more and more of what would have been the sort of classical functions of the state. Uh, cryptocurrencies and the like will simply accelerate this trend even further. It's a South African scenario, but it drew a lot of strength in our research from a global trend of fragmentation that makes national borders and central governments less and less important. You can uh, see it around the world. Uh, Brexit's an example of sorts, the rejection of the central authority of Brussels. In America, Mr. Trump says we must throw all the Mexicans out and the mayor of some small Midwestern city will say, well, we won't do it here and there's nothing the federal government can do about it. South Africa, because of its unique ability to absorb technological innovation, uh, bitcoins and the like, will take off here faster than in many other parts of the world. Uh, the, the sophisticated nature of a portion of the country, together with its deep political and economic tensions and inequalities, will make us a cutting-edge global example of the trend of fragmentation. And the country will break up, we think, if you look at the macro level, into three enclaves. There'll be one of about five or so million people who will look like leopard spots where they live across the map, centered around the Western Cape in a band that runs from George through Cape Town and up the West Coast. These will be um, medium to high net worth individuals relative to South Africa. They'll be well hedged offshore. 
They'll profit from the uh, weakness in the rand. They will uh, transact and buy their Cape Town properties in dollars. Uh, their children will be at private and independent schools, and these don't have to be elitist things anymore. I did some scenarios recently for one of the most fantastic companies. I don't know if that won't be mentioned, so I won't. That is uh, gearing to provide low-cost private education in South Africa, and and it, uh, they, they were an inspiring example of what's possible. Private health care. These people in these uh, enclaves will be networked to each other through communications technology and networked into the rest of the world. They'll tend to work for themselves, not for large corporations. They'll be more in the services economy than elsewhere. And um, they'll be largely independent. And even as uh, a per capita GDP in South Africa falls, they will maintain against the odds and in incredibly difficult circumstances relatively high standards of living. There'll be a second enclave in broad strokes around the urban fringes, the uh, unemployed, uh, increasingly unemployable urban poor, who as the state's ability to deliver services or welfare or maintain law and order is eroded, will fall under the control of an emerging gang culture, much as you see in South America and already parts of the Western Cape, and we detect already even in small towns in rural South Africa today. Uh, the third enclave will be rural South Africa. Uh, there'll be stockades of commercial farming, but around them they'll, the government's policy will essentially have been an expansion of the National Party's homelands policy. Uh, uh, massive numbers of uh, people uh, on the land that they will not own, eking out a living, under the authority of very corrupt and later very cruel traditional leaders. And uh, the scenario suggests that as the global trend of fragmentation accelerates and technological innovation accelerates it further, and the union buildings eventually is a, hosts the government that governs literally only over the union buildings and its gardens outside, dictates but has no authority, South Africa splits irreparably into these three uh, broad enclaves. And I think on current trends, uh, that is the likelihood that the enclave phenomenon will deepen into 2019, 2020. Should we not at that point have the administration capable of uh, understanding the ideology it believes in and implementing efficiently the policies that flow from that ideology? For better in two of my scenarios, for worse in one, the enclave society becomes our future and we stick with it for a considerable period of time. So where's the bad news? Well, it's interesting how people <laughs> respond to the scenarios. Um, yeah. Because we present the same arguments to businesses around the country. Um, I think we use the very exact words in our briefings and show them the same graphics and we get a very different response. Uh, a number of people see immediately reject the upsides. Uh, often in the civil service, they say it's completely impossible, which is revealing. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they, they, they make, see the tyranny of the left as a terrible outcome, uh, logically, but they also see the, the breakup as, a, as an awful result, one that we would best avoid. And... Um, 
the users of our scenarios and analysis must do with it what they will. But we are sometimes puzzled by that response. Ultimately, the enclave, people say to us, well, where will it be? And we say, it's not a folk start on the map. It's not that sort of dated, naive outcome. The the enclave will, will be a mindset more than a place. And if you're possessed of that mindset, whether you're terribly rich or slightly poor, uh, that mindset will allow you to continue improving your standard of living regardless of what the macro scenario for South Africa is. You have detached yourself from the crippling idea that if the state and the economy falls off the cliff, it must by necessity drag me with it. Mm. It, it will be very hard in those circumstances uh, to, to, to do very well in South Africa. It will be difficult. I'm not saying it will be easy. But you will be able to maintain a very high standard of living against the odds if the, if, 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 if the mindset is broadly right. Franz, I, um, I need to phrase this correctly. Um, Ramon's very excited by the idea that we could uh, become basically an, an, an anarchic state, I suppose, um, and oxymoron with the state next to that word, but but essentially a, a territory that's that's essentially anarchic. I I'm not as excited because what you describe is, uh, you know, having large ganglands, for example, is is not something that excites me. Um, the is there is there any way in which and 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 also how in a way um would this happen in which those who are currently paying the the, the tax bill turn around and go um you know we're not paying this anymore a tax revolt that's been spoken of um and they do go in 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 a, in a way to do their own thing but they also as part of kind of civil society they actually mm-hmm. improve the country in the way that in many ways that the government should be doing um, because i mean the truth be told is is if you gave all the money that uh, we collect in tax to private organizations to accomplish a lot of what government claims they want to i very much believe and i think there's evidence for that 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 they would succeed the other side of the coin in terms of this question is what stops the government from just I- increasing tax and if you don't pay it, kind of locking you up and, and, and exerting violence against those people? It's not anarchic. The functions of the state, the reason you have a state, are all still in place. But they've been downsourced and outsourced on a more localized level. Order, rule of law, rules of how you govern yourself will exist in stay in city as much as they would in a very large country. Mm. Uh, so it's not anarchic. Secondly, it's not nearly as dramatic as as Ian Smith saying, we have guns now and we'll go it alone. It's nothing of the sort. No tax. I don't see tax revolts or rebellions. Mm. I think it will be what is already, we're so deep into already, it will be the quiet realization in more and more communities that we basically have to, uh, if, if we want sound schools, safe roads, safe communities, we've got to do it ourselves. 
Then along the way, and it's very difficult to predict exactly when, there'll be massive technological disruptors that will accelerate the trend, and cryptocurrencies will be one of those. And it won't be so much a conspiracy around a tax revolt. It will just become very difficult to raise tax and, and to spend it effectively. So my uh, uh, break-up world is a very ordered world. Uh, There will probably be stricter rules of far more law and order than than you'd find in in outside of the walls of the enclaves, Uh, uh, approaches to doing things. And um, it it won't be as dramatic as uh, staging a breakaway from South Africa. It will be in the same way that people sort of unprompted these days tell you how interesting it is to be in the Western Cape, that it just feels a bit okay. different. So not Mad Max, because you do that. No, no, no. <laughs> it will be an incremental... We, the basis of scenarios is in uh, complex systems theory, which is actually terribly simple. What it says <laughs> is that in any system, and a country is a system, you have lots of people that compete for stuff and things. And in a complex system, the the collective impact of their work has a has is, is multiplied together to determine what the future of the system becomes. Now, to make it take it down to ground level, the traffic is a complex system. Thousands of cars going somewhere in the morning, but you can't forecast the traffic here tomorrow morning because the change in just one actor, one car, a truck that drives into a man or something, can knock out the experience of the whole system for the whole day which will in turn mean that I wouldn't be sitting here, you wouldn't have a program, people wouldn't be listening to it, they wouldn't have taken on the information, they wouldn't have perhaps adapted the breakup mindset. The implications are immense. Multiply this by every interaction that every individual in the system has and every every uh, uh, business, every financial transaction, every government decision, and you see how difficult it is to forecast the future. Mm. It's for I'm getting to my point. It's mm. for that reason that you get these dramatic shifts like we saw in North Africa. It's for that reason that if you stood in the mall in Washington with Obama addressing a million people, saying, yes, we can, and and turned to your mate and said, well, this is great, but I think uh, the next chap to stand there will be Donald Trump. While, While you're on sound theoretical footing to do that, might sound completely mad. This is why saying Zuma can win is sound. This is why saying Ramaphosa and the DA could be together is equally sound. There's a, a, a subfield of uh, complex, system, complex systems under pin scenario planning and why you need to sketch various worlds and roadmap uh, how to get to each one rather than doing the very dangerous thing of picking a single future and saying that one will definitely happen because I'm a very good analyst and I know that. Even mm. if you are a very, very good analyst, the, it's called the emergent property of complex systems mean that you cannot be right. Now, in the field of complex systems, there's an idea called complex adaptive systems. And these are systems that are confronted with very difficult circumstances and in and of themselves change in order to adapt to the challenge. So the so bottoming out never happens. Rock bottom is never reached. And we think the, uh, the enclave phenomenon will be driven by the adaptive uh, 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 aspect of uh, complex systems. And therefore, we can go to, we, we, we can develop a very sound theoretical uh, basis for both scenario planning and for our um, breakup scenario, which, which will be, which, which will happen in the quietest and most unassuming manner you can imagine.
And if, if uh, I think a lot of people might be listening to this and think about your own life already. How many of the core functions of the state do you actually already control? All of them. Pretty much, except roads. Well, even roads. Uh, my community put up speed bumps by ourselves. Thank you very much. It cost me two grand. They're probably illegal speed bumps too. No, no, the JRA approved. They couldn't afford to. <laughs> they couldn't afford to do it themselves. But the, but the breakup's happening in France. It's been happening for for years. I know. I know. It's uh, we have we have civic organisations that are doing the function of the states. People move to Cape Town to 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 live under a different government system entirely. It's happening already. We are not. The rand is not going to matter to a lot of people who can use cryptocurrency. It's it's going to be a, a globalized world with very very localized politics sooner or later. I think it's exactly that. And the, the very astute observers of our scenarios say, "But you've told us nothing at all, because you've simply said that we're already where we're going to be. It's just a question of degree now." Okay, so so you. You would, if if you were going to sort of bet on any one, you would say the breakup one is 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 we're tending towards that one. Well, I'd I'd say to you that that through the election in 2019 and into the early 2020s, I think we'll see all the attributes of the breakup scenario deepening. Of that, I'm pretty certain. Beyond that. Mm. I go back to assigning an equal degree of plausibility to many of the other scenarios. Yeah. And the reason is the understanding of complexity and emergence and that it's just not possible. It, it is to take short-term yeah. trends and develop long-term predictions is fatal. And the way to deal with uncertainty in, in a volatile country like ours is not to try and beat it and overcome it. You're only going to be lucky if you get that right. The, the way is to accept it as inherent. Realize that at any point we can spin off into any of the other scenarios, which we could. Um, so beyond that, I don't uh, uh, offer a, a firm view other than to say take them all seriously. If you're a business, you develop strategy, test your strategy against all four of my scenarios, even the ones that you think are impossible. And remember that uh, – that idea of that chap listening to Obama telling his mate that he thinks Donald Trump's probably got this thing in the bag now. Uh, it would have been rubbished. And it, it, well, it was rubbished a year before the guy won. Well, it was rubbished. Uh, I was in Washington weeks before he won. Mm. And it was rubbished in Washington. No. So, and, and, and let's be honest. But in the small uh, railroad towns of the Midwest that I have had the great privilege to get to know well over the past 15 years, um, the, the sense in that very same trip was um, that they couldn't see how Mrs. Clinton could possibly win. No, really. But if you had the Washington view, as, as one uh, 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 a chap said to me, there were people in Washington who did not know that there were Trump supporters in America. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Huffington Post, as I was going to say, 12 hours before the – or eight hours, I think, even before the polls closed, published uh, you know 98% probability of, of uh, Hillary win, well, winning well, they, and, and they 2% of the False news, as they say. Fake. Fraud. No, no. Fraud news is CNN. <laughs> Fake news is everyone else. <laughs> the, um, hard to follow. Uh, and, and just before you, you get to – the worst thing you could do is to – Go too deep down the breakup road and write off the other scenarios. There's a wonderful quote I recently read. You probably know it of the uh, 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 Pennsylvania Republican, a chap by the name of Bloom, who says that uh, economics is to politics what gravity is to jumping. 
And in, in our work these days, more than ever before, if we talk about structural reform, real reform, not, not, not this uh, sort of tweaking the empowerment scorecard, um, we're taken quite seriously in places that you wouldn't think. I think that they're ruling party politicians who are afraid, who understand the implications of low growth and running out of money. We show in the book how popular confidence in the future of the country has fallen by 40 percentage points, how the number of violent anti-government protests has risen from a 1,000 incidents a decade ago to almost 10 incidents a day now. Um, we, we publish a bit of our polling information and other data we're able to obtain that shows how confidence in the ANC has just collapsed. It won't be unusual for me that a... Um, perhaps ideologically uncertain senior leader in the ANC might agree strongly in a briefing that real per capita GDP and ANC support levels might track each other. The only model that made rich country, poor countries rich in the last 50 or 60 years was some variation on the theme of the Asian Tigers. We're seeing experiments in that direction in Rwanda at the moment with Paul Kagame, hmm. in Ethiopia with Hail Mary and Desalen, it is uh, quite possibly going to be a variation on the Asian theme, uh, a Kagame insisting in, on an increasingly professional civil service, completely unlike his, 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 his African uh, uh, neighbor, or neighbor by some distance in South Africa. Um, that rise of the right outcome might very well be uh, uh, dominant in explaining Africa's takeoff over the next 30 or 40 years. Uh, South Africa still has the time to become the definitive influence shaping the sort of African tiger. As my colleague Gwen Nguenya wrote in City Press recently, the liger, the lions and tiger economies. So uh, the best advice I can give any group is realize that small changes in present conditions bring about huge shifts in your future circumstances. That is why with all we know, and we know quite a lot of things, we still don't forecast South Africa's future to a single point in future space and time. Mm. Test your strategy if you have a business or for your family or whatever it is for your children against all four scenarios and know that in the depths of the darkest scenario, you're going to make it and you'll be fine. And then you are very well positioned for a long, a prosperous and happy future in South Africa. Mm. Okay. Is... When we think about scenarios and, you know, you, you propose four, that's usually how this works. There are four scenarios and it, it kind of follows that axis where, where you have sort of a y-axis and an x-axis and you either left, top, left, bottom, right, top, right, bottom. Um, is it possible to think of it in a more three-dimensional manner whereby you move strongly in one direction and ultimately end up where one scenario places you? but you veer into the other scenarios at points. Yeah, the borders between the scenarios are porous. They must be. The scenarios, those, if you do the matrix, there are many methodologies. We, we do the one that produces the matrix and the four scenarios, although you can do it just with two, a worst case and best case. Mm. We sometimes will do that. The... Um, the reason you do that and use the matrix is it's the only way to get clear direction out of the mass of contradictory data and information that uh, your initial analysis of an economy or country will be based on. I can uh, sit here and, and convince you to, 
if I tried. I'd go somewhere there. That service delivery efforts of the ANC were one of its greatest successes. The, you know, the, the number of families with electricity tripled from 5 to 15 million over the last 20 years. There are no emerging markets that can show that kind of increase in, in, in the delivery of a service. For every uh, shack built after 94, 10 formal houses were built in the country. The number of people with a job has doubled. I can be better at this stuff than, than many of the state's own propagandists. And for all of that, South Africa is still in so much trouble. And you can just see the great difficulty of adding all of this information together and coming to a view. The scenario matrix and the, 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 the rigid methodology allows you to take conflicting trends and develop very clear views about what's going to happen next. Once you've done that, the scenario, one scenario is not a, a box. You can't not get out of it. You can merge aspects with it, of it with another one. You can, um, in, in, the, in the box, in the scenario box with the porous borders, mm. you can sit at an extreme point of the scenario. A Venezuela went to the extreme corner of the tyranny of the left. Uh, 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 South Korea went to an extreme point of the rise of the right, later unchanged initially. Uh, Singapore went to an extreme point. So you can merge them. Uh, you can uh, cross borders and you can, depending on your timeline, say I'm certain we'll spend X number of years in the breakup and then we'll a decade later move to the rise of the right. You can do all of that. The point of it is that you can take conflicting trends and information and get very clear sense of direction about what is going to happen, why will it happen, uh, when will it happen, and how will I know with significant advanced warning that it is going to happen? Scenarios give you all of that. So, in conclusion, really, so the 2019 election and the fortitude of the people who are implementing policy after those elections will actually determine what will happen here for the next decade or two. It will determine what will happen to every person who doesn't have a break-up mindset. Uh, if, if, if your, if your breakup mindset isn't, uh, acutely well developed, then your future will depend on what the people who triumph in 2019 will do. But what the breakup scenario does is that that doesn't have to be your future. Right. You can, uh, engineer for yourself significant shock absorbers around those decisions, uh, both to navigate around problems that may emerge and to take far more fully advantage of opportunities that may arise. So in your first three scenarios, yes, you're surrendering your future to what a small group of other people with not the finest of track records is going to do for you. In scenario number four, the locus of control has moved internally and you say regardless of what they do, how can I make sure that I don't, don't just make it, that wouldn't be the mindset. How can I ensure a, a prosperous, stable future for myself and one that I can use, of course, so important, to uh, help over time create those same opportunities for other South Africans? So basically, start growing your own food, people. No, I'm joking. Don't well, do that. Well, actually, can we quickly just touch on what some of those things might be? Um, you've mentioned cryptocurrency a lot. Um, I assume you're a fan. I don't understand enough of cryptocurrencies, but uh, the the little that I do understand, I've, done, I've read a bit. We're doing a podcast um, just for you soon. So. The the little that I have done, I, I'm sure I know who you're doing it with as well, <laughs> is uh, and and what those gentlemen have said to me, 
makes me think it's going to be perhaps the most influential single accelerant of the global trend of fragmentation. And uh, yeah. in, in that sense, absolutely a, a fan of the of the concept, as I mm. understand it, and the implications. Obviously, high risk at the moment, but at some point, you've got to get on board. Yes, no, and no, I think the amount that's being spoken about is uh, is, is testimony. Uh, I mean, the, the number of my a number of my young staff members now are uh, have opened uh, Bitcoin accounts, have their wallets, have their vaults. Mm. And, and and there wasn't, I mean, even as late as middle of last year in, in our office, which thinks a lot about the future, you didn't actually see any of that. Now you're starting to see it more prominently. So to hedge yourself against any of the three scenarios, potential scenarios, are basically a community activism of sorts, a community network, uh, trusting those around you, um, maybe getting off the grid somehow or other in a particular fashion. Depends entirely on your own circumstances sure. as an individual. You want to be hedged uh, financially and as far as it's possible so that the sort of collapse of the currency here, were that to happen, doesn't take you with it. Uh, that that if, if, if you're dependent on a, a pension, for example, this, you go talk to your own financial advisor. This isn't advice, but, you know, the, the state has its eyes on the vast pot of money that sits in government employees' pension funds. And I'd be very worried if if my retirement sat in one of those funds, um, considering what might be done with that money and, and whether it would exist. And has already been done with that money, so, actually. So, you know, speak to your financial advisor. That's the advice. Um, make sure that in as far as possible your children are educated and you too to the highest possible level because that's the one thing the state cannot – expropriate from you other than by jailing you or killing you later on right it's most important make sure that uh, the 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 functions that you that the state would traditionally deliver are functions that you can increasingly provide yourself uh community levels of community organization are incredibly important in 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 order to hedge oneself against uh, the future, and there there are a number of other steps, all of which are, are unique to the individual. But but it's not so much the steps; the steps will follow from the mindset. And if the mindset is right, each family with its unique circumstances, each business will understand what the necessary hedging steps are. All right, so. All great. Make sure you buy a copy of Francis' book for uh, your financial advisor to read. Um, right, and I have two copies actually. Uh, one for me, one for my friends. Uh, so it's called A Time Traveler's Guide to South Africa in 2030. Written by Franz Crenier and came out in May, I believe, because I bought it the week it came out. Yeah, it came out in May, and it's in most bookstores. It's on Amazon. It's on. It's on special on Loot uh, at the moment. All right, perfect. Um, I've read it twice. I think it's it's a phenomenal book. Put my mind at ease. And uh, Franz, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both for the opportunity. It's an absolute yeah. pleasure. A pleasure as always. Um, you can obviously find Franz. I see you've changed your uh, Twitter handle. Uh, he's at South Africa 2030 on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow the South African Institute of Race Relations, who regularly tweet out um, interesting stuff based on their research um, and the work that they do. I will remind you that they were the only organization who correctly um, spoke out about the race issues before we discovered that the ANC had a um, an entire 
um, war room dedicated to stirring up racial hatred, plus um, Bell Pottinger and all of that stuff that has now come out and everyone has had to admit to. Um, they are very good at what they do, and uh, they certainly, whether you agree with um, the political leanings or not um, of what you feel they might say, you would be well um, advised to, to at least listen or read what they what they put out. Um, as always, you can find us on uh, Twitter at Renegade underscore report. Ramon is at Roman Kabernak. I'm at Jonathan underscore wit. Our Patre- uh, Patreon uh, subscribers will be receiving this podcast early and we are going to be starting to run some events as well. Um, if you are able to donate towards the show, um, we're hoping to start giving you uh, some of the rewards as a result of that. And uh, we really appreciate the support. If you're not able to, that's great. Rate us on iTunes. Tell your friends about us. Subscribe. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks so much. Bye. Cliffcentral.com